family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Let the congregation be seated for just a moment as we unpack a couple of contexts for scriptures we'll use this morning and in our larger sermon series, Out of Context. Having just arrived back from um, walking the footsteps of Paul, <clears throat> studying deeply, um, I'd worn out a couple of pair of shoes, and I, I looked at Sean this week, and I said, I need to, I need to get a new pair of shoes. I, I was thinking that, but not saying it. Have you ever done that? You, you've got this conversation, but it doesn't drop from your brain to your mouth. And, and all that I said to her when I looked at her when I got home was, hey, let's go over to Woodlands to the hookah store. Now, I read online about these shoes I've seen some of y'all wearing that's H-O-K-A. What I didn't know, and, and by your, uh, if you're laughing on the inside, some of you, uh, come on, Randy, you, you Louisiana guys, you know exactly what a hookah is, don't you? I didn't know hookah was a smoke shop, right? So Sean looked at me, she said, what on earth do you want to go to a smoke shop for? I said, I want to get some shoes. And she said, at a smoke shop? I said, well, no, why do you want to go to in this, this volley of who's on first begin, right? And I finally had to take out the phone and said, the hookahs. She goes, Bert, they're hookahs, not hookahs. Hookahs where people go to smoke. I said, oh, it's a good thing I married a wife with education from Arkansas about all this stuff. And that didn't go over well. Remind the story of the man who made a comment to his wife that wasn't very polite, and he said he didn't see her for three days. But on the fourth day, the swelling went down in his right eye just enough that he could kind of catch her right here. We can get things confused so easily. Sometimes it's just the pronunciation, but sometimes it's understanding the context of what's happening. So before we even get to the scripture, I want to set even an additional layer of context about Paul. So we're walking through Rome, and in all of the footsteps that we took, the most powerful one for me was not being in the Vatican, was not being in St. Peter's, not even St. Paul's outside the wall, which commemorates St. Paul. It was actually being in the Colosseum. Because as I stood in the Colosseum, I realized there were a countless number of saints who lost their lives for the faith in that place, and there is no building built for them but great is their reward. And yet even in that context, I realized that for over 300 years following the death of Peter and the death of Paul, the story of the faith was preserved and these incredible structures commemorate these leaders within the faith. We don't think that Paul actually got out of Rome alive, that once he got there, and if you do any research, uh, you will find out about how 
that happened. I believe Dr. Peter Walker, our guide um, lecturer on this trip, was was making the case, and I think he's right, that Paul went to Rome and once Nero got a hold of him after he leaves Caesarea by the sea. And uh, Felix is fed up with him and he says, that's enough of you. Uh, in the men's group, we talked about in my little small group on Friday mornings about the Felix factor, that once Paul had presented the gospel so well, confronted Felix so much, the text says in Acts that Felix finally said, look, that's enough from you, Paul. You want to go to Rome? To Rome you'll go. And there's a Felix factor that happens, and Paul goes to Rome, and I don't think he ever comes out of Rome alive. What's distinctive about the book of Philippians that we're going to read an excerpt from is that Paul addresses conflict and gives instructions to many of the churches, whether it be Ephesus and the Ephesians and the many gods, whether it be Corinthians and what's happening with divisions and the immorality that's present there. But Philippians is uniquely crafted as a book of encouragement. And yet Paul writes this book of encouragement to the church at Philippi while in chains in Rome. And he knows he's not going to get out of Rome alive. He's exhausted every resource. He's made his appeals. He knows he's not getting out of Rome alive. And yet he writes the word of encouragement to the church at Philippi. I can remember being a high school student and going through FCA and youth group and this verse that we're about to read in Philippians was all over the place. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I still love the text. But I want to pull together for us two verses and unpack some of our thinking that in subtle ways puts us in charge. And here's the metaphor I want to give for you before we ever get to the text. I want you to think about wheelbarrow faith. How often do we say we want God to be in the lead, but we have a wheelbarrow kind of faith? And if you know anything about a wheelbarrow, whoever holds the back of the wheelbarrow determines where it goes. And oftentimes our rhetoric and our language is that we want God in the lead, God to lead the way, God to determine things. But it's like a wheelbarrow and we just suddenly from behind steer it in different directions. There's a couple things in translation that we need to pull out and highlight to find out what is the context of two verses? We're going to read these together. Um, I teasingly tell the youth that sometimes I'll call them up to read Scripture today. So every one of you is going to be a liturgist in a moment. We're going to read Philippians 4.13 from the NIV translation. And then we're going to read Romans 8.28 from the NIV translation. And I want us to kind of be able to understand the context of this text. So in respect to God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. You'll notice there is an emphasis within this text. It is a, uh, the best translation directly from the Greek. And let's read together Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 28. These words of Paul. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and as you are, let's bow together for prayer. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word. And your grace in your covenant and your goodness and your grace, and your love in your goodness, and yourself in your love. 
with all of this in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. And may your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ in whose name we gather, whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So often this verse out of Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 is shortened to, I can do all things. And we turn it into sort of a spiritual rabbit's foot or a spiritual horseshoe. But, but is this really what Paul is saying that I, I can just do everything? Is he telling us just to, to believe more in ourselves or, or to believe that Christ empowers us to do whatever we set our minds to? That's a wheelbarrow faith kind of thinking. And what it does is it puts us in control. It uses the language of the faith, but it doesn't allow us to surrender to what God is doing. So to understand Philippians 4.13 in its context, we should read what's happening within the text. If you reach back into the chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul is employing the church at Philippi to have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. In fact, the section of Philippians chapter 2 called the Great Pauline Christ Hymn, we believe to be one of the earliest circulated writings within the early church. For in that 300 years that we had writers of Scripture and portions of Scripture being circulated, and with every year we find an additional layer or discovery that validates and ratifies the authenticity and the truth of Scripture. Geographically, you find that all the time. If you want to have fun this afternoon, you can Google the uh, asylum, the road, to, it's called the pilgrimage road from the pools of Siloam in Jerusalem. For years, people said, oh, that's just fabricated. That's just made up. Well, guess what they found right after COVID when they started digging? They found the steps that millions of Jewish pilgrims would take as they came from their various places to wash themselves in the pools of Siloam. And they found the actual steps that led from there all the way up to the Temple Mount. They exist. So the truth of all of this scripture tends to bear itself out as time goes by. And Paul says, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Sort of a side note is that he talks about the nature in which Christ emptied himself of his divine will. And the word in the Greek for empty is kino'o. It means to create space for. So in some ways it's important for us as we move to the fourth chapter to ask, what kind of space are we creating in our hearts and lives for God's scripture, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, God's scripture to read us? as much as we read the scripture. Paul recounts Timothy and Ephroditus. He talks about the struggle that happens in chapter three. He encourages people to follow the example. And then he talks about in, verse, in chapter four, how he has become content in all things. And he recounts the struggles that he's had. It says actually in verse two, uh, verse 1, therefore, my brothers and sisters, 
You, my love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. He's imprisoned. He's telling them to stand firm. In verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then Paul says immediately preceding this verse, I have learned to be content in all things. What it's like to have much, what it's like to have little. And the reason we use the NIV translation is simply this, the word this. Paul says clearly, I can do all of this through Christ who is my strength. Or maybe another way of thinking about it is when you don't think you can do it, let Christ do it through you. And this is the proper context Not some sort of verse that we would call upon so that we would get whatever we want or exercise our faith. As if a student who fails to even open the book can simply pray Philippians 4.13 and God would magically create an A on the paper. That's not going to happen. Or one who doesn't put time and effort into the energy of the arts to think, oh God, is going to magically make things happen. No, Paul is saying God has been with me in the midst of all of this. And this is why I want to couple Romans 8.28 with Philippians 4.13. A God who is with us in all things. So if you're going to struggle with how to understand why God takes the highest priority and help you decision-making processes, and you think about your wheelbarrow faith, let me throw another metaphor at you, and that is the pinball machine. If you remember the pinball machines, now when I went through, you put in a quarter. Some of you may have used a little bit less, but you don't have to admit to that because it'll, by each decade, the price went up for the pinball. But you would put in, for me, you would put in a quarter and then you would have the pinball come out and then what would you do? You'd use the flappers, right? And if you shook it too much, what would happen? You'd tilt, right? No, No too much shaking, right? But that little pinball would just ricochet off all of the bumpers. And I want to suggest to you that too often in life, when we fail to pause, when we fail to be in these moments, as Paul Amos so eloquently told us, to find a context to say, oh God, what are you doing in my life? What do you want to grow me? How do you want my life to be shaped by you? What we tend to do is we tend to have a pinball faith and we shake life all the time trying to get that pinball to go over where we want it to go. And we just ricochet from one event to another. Rather than pausing and not letting the external events determine the trajectory of our life, but asking God, what is the trajectory that God desires for my life? regardless of the external circumstances. I'm going to make a confession to you. I struggle in my walk with Christ with one simple concept that I cannot let go of, and that is this. I wish God would give me and grant me the wisdom to know the difference between pausing and discernment and the door being closed and move on. I struggle in those moments. I come up against something and I wonder, okay, is God asking me to remain faithful like the widow who is knocking at the door, persistent, because I know this is where God is leading. Endure, Bert, keep pressing in. It's going to happen. Or is God saying, Bert, you idiot, 
The door's locked, the window's boarded, move on. And the only place that I find that I get discernment in that is community. It's why we're so important to each other. It helps us discern what God is doing in the midst of all that. So if we know that Paul is saying clearly to the church at Philippi that that I can do all of this, I can endure and I can be faithful even while I'm in chains because it is Christ who is my strength. What do we do about the circumstances around us and how do we put into context this sense of allness? We look at Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. The first part that's important in understanding this as we tend to live out God's purpose is to know that this includes the fact that God is loving and he is calling us to a purpose. This does not mean that whatever you want to happen well, God is going to bless. How often do you hear in our world, well, if you just had more faith, that would go better. It's one of the most destructive things that we say unintentionally trying to be helpful. What Paul is telling us is that there's a purpose to which our life is called. And God is going to work in all things for a greater purpose. Now, we don't have time to unpack the theology of what's uh, it's called theodicy. Uh, if you're... Um, curious about this, the AHP men's group on Friday morning is going through the book of Job. You want to talk about a difficult book to struggle with, just open up Job and why did the bad things happen and why the struggles happen. We're wrestling with that, right? Paul isn't saying that God causes all things. And if you want to sit down and visit, the odyssey is why do bad things happen if God is good and all powerful? The short answer is He gives us free will. But what about the tragedies? What about natural disasters? Those are things I can't answer. And so the way I frame that is, my faith doesn't explain why everything happens, but my faith helps me get through things I can't explain. Okay, so my faith doesn't explain why everything happens, but my faith can help me get through things I don't understand. In the words of J.B. Phillips, if you know everything about God, your God would fit in a box. And a God that fits in a box is a God that's too small. So I'm not going to just simply bail out and not have conversations that are difficult. But I am going to tell you, I yield to the mystery of not being able to know why all things happen. But I do know this. I know we are loved by a God who can work in and through all things in his redeeming power and his redeeming presence to make beautiful, good things happen, even from difficult, broken, hurtful situations. Paul says also in Romans 8, 28, the second thing we need to learn is that it doesn't mean that everything will be good that happens, but it does mean that God will work for his good in all things. I once heard it said this way, God allows everything into our lives for one of two purposes, either to bring us into relationship with him, or if we already know him, to make us more like him. Now, I can't explain to you why some of those things are so hateful, hurtful, and ugly. I can't tell you why it is that things that that are just absolute tragedies, that if there's a good God, why should that be 
happening? I don't know. I can't answer all those questions. What I know is that we're loved by God who is with us in times of joy, in times of struggle, in times of apathy, in times of passion. A God who's with us all the time. A Christ who in all of this seeks to be our strength that we can do what we're called to do. What I want to close with giving you an imagery of how this has come together. Um, each week that I preach, um, I'll search. I've got several different sites that I do research on. Uh, sometimes I'll take that text and I'll say, well, how does someone else preach about it? I found the story that I did not know about of Dr. Charles Tindley, T-I-N-D-L-E-Y. Um, maybe you know the song, We Shall Overcome. We shall overcome. So the basis for that song was written by Dr. Charles Tinley. Um, and his song was entitled, I Shall Overcome Someday. He wrote 40 hymns. He was a Methodist pastor in Philadelphia. He was born to a father who was still enslaved in the 1880s and a mother who had been set free. His mother died when he was four years old. He was raised by an aunt. He was nurtured in the church and he was a Methodist preacher who at the time of his death at Calvary Methodist Church in Philadelphia had 12,000 members. That's just unheard of in the 1930s. But he wrote this hymn that so beautifully encompassed this sense of this tension about how God works in and through all this. It's called My Secret of Joy. Now, if you Google this, you're not going to find uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing it. This is an obscure hymn that you've got to dig to find. But listen to these words. You ask me where I get the joys that make my heart so light, which all the gloom of day destroys and gives me songs at night. And it's written, remember the old Cokesbury hymnal? There'll be those, those choruses that would just take off with eighth notes and sixteenth notes. I'm not going to try and sing it. I, 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 I showed it to Matt and he said, don't try it, Bert. Don't try it. <laughs> the chorus says this, Hallelujah, I belong to the King. I'm saved now and I have a right to sing. For the light from heaven fills my soul and the night has passed away. I once was full of anxious fear. I tried but failed to see that all I needed was so near that Christ died for me. I counted much upon my state of goodness since in my birth. These only added to my fate. They had no place nor worth. I wish I had a tongue to tell the comfort then was given how my poor soul was brought from hell and carried almost to heaven. He has this rhythmic line about all that is encountered in life. Hallelujah, I belong to the King. I have a right to see. He fills the light from heaven fills my soul and the night has passed away. I love that imagery. One of the forefathers of what became the gospel music that is so rich and nourishes our faith captured the struggle that we have. Friends, you ask me where I get the joy that makes my heart so light, which all the gloom of day destroys and gives me songs at night. I am a child and I belong to the King. What we pray is that you would understand as we work through this text in Philippians and in Romans. That when you can't do all things through Christ, that you will let Christ do all things through you. 
And that when the struggles of this world make it feel as if the world is falling apart, in the words of Casting Crown Song, you will know it's falling into place, even when the pieces are broken. Or if you are one who, like me, follows J.D. Walt in the daily wake-up call, I remind you of this past week's words from Tim Hughes. When I feel like ruins, you see the foundation to build your kingdom on. Friends, the world doesn't need more people who smile and say everything's perfect and wonderful. The world needs an authentic witness to the love of Christ that says when things may be unexplainable, when hurt can't be reconciled to context or situation, when there could be an appearance of hopelessness or things are just so confusing in those moments of struggle, God is with you and you don't have to have all the answers. And the world needs us to be willing to say in those moments, I don't know. Did that earlier this year, and I want you to say it with me. Say these words, I don't know. know. You don't know it all, and you don't have to. But what you do need to know is you're loved by God in Christ. And that relationship, that relationship is what makes the difference. And coming to church on Sunday morning should infuse it, but it doesn't replace it. Being in the pew on Sunday morning doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to curbside pickup to at Whataburger turns you into a hamburger. (laughs) If you don't know, we would love to have that conversation. We'd love to sit down together and say, where are you? We'd love to sit with you in the midst of your questions that maybe none can answer. We'd love to cry with you. We'd love to sing joy with you. We'd love to help you know you're loved by Christ. And when you get to that point and you recognize, then you know all this. God, I can make it through all this because it is Christ who is with me, who is my strength. Let's pray together. God, would you forgive us when so often we think that what you're asking of us is to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps, to work harder, to ignore what is around us. When all the while you're wanting to lead us into a deeper conversation with you. Would you help us recognize that in those places where we think we have lost control, the control of life really is an illusion. And yet our being able to surrender to you our lives, to let your spirit move in and through the pages of scripture to awaken us, to strengthen us. To remind us we're never alone in the midst of the struggle, the hurt, or the pain. Would you help us build that community that welcomes all the questions that might be asked. All the joy that's yet to be discovered. And God, I ask as um, we come to a close in this service of worship that your, your Holy Spirit would wash across this place this week as young children come to hear the stories of the faith. And they will know of a God who loves them and who wants that relationship with them in response and faith. God, thank you for that kind of love and your joy that always is pursuing us. 
We pray these things, O God, in the name of the one who is our strength, who is the one through whom all of this is possible, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.